hope you slept well. I hope you're safe. When I woke up around five, I immediately checked where the hurricane was. And it, an hour before that, a friend of mine who lives in the Palm Bay area said that they were in the eye of the storm. So it's made landfall now. Praise the Lord. We're going to continue in our Jesus series this morning. I'm so glad you joined me for it. I have been loving the study of Jesus in this way so much. And we are going to resume today in Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 16 through 30. I want to actually start at the end. The end of this passage is pretty amazing. We're going to look at what Jesus said, and I want to focus more on what Jesus said than the people's reaction. The people's reaction was because Jesus let them know a prophet is without honor in his own country. And I think that is a statement that's not meant to say a prophet shouldn't be given honor in his own country. I think Jesus was making a, a awareness. This is what typically happens. The closer you get to someone, and, and this is true even now, the closer you are to someone, the more details you know about them. And, you know, in this case, in, in Luke 4 here, they said, you're Joseph's son. You're the carpenter's son. And, um, and they didn't want him to exhibit his authority because to them, he was the carpenter's son. And, you know, the closer you get to someone who is in ministry, you, if you're not careful, you forget that God's grace is being applied even to a person in ministry. Now, I'm not talking about allowing immorality, allowing abuse, allowing anything like that, but I'm saying that when a pastor's wife lives with the pastor of a congregation, she knows when he gets mad or when he's been lazy or when he's got a honey to-do list that he's not done. You know, being an anointed person of God does not make you a perfect human. And so when you get close to minister ministers, you become more aware of their humanity and and so it's you have to work harder but you should still honor them in their office um 
sometimes when people are talking to me and I'm talking about my family members, because my parents and siblings and their spouses are all very active in the work of God, um, no one has ever taught or told me to call my dad pastor or brother or bishop. No one's ever told me that. But somewhere in my late teens, I started of my own, I don't know if the Lord guided me to do it, if it was how I distinguished distinguished between his various offices in my life as pastor and father. But when we were talking about church-related things, I would call my dad Brother Varnum, or if I were in conversation with somebody, I would refer to him as Brother Varnum, which is, for those of you who don't know, that's that's uh, the more um, formal way to call a a uh, a pastor or a minister in the Pentecostal or movement. Uh, for my brother, now my dad is bishop. You know, well now when when I'm getting him something to drink, I say, Dad, do you want a drink? Or, hey, Daddy, this, this, this. Last night I texted him, Dad, you did such a great job. Like, he's my dad. I have a, a song that I wrote about him when I was, I think I was 16 or 17. It's recorded on an album. It's called You're My Hero. And it says, Daddy, <laughs> I don't understand. It starts with the word Daddy. He is my daddy. But I am aware of his offices. So now... When we're talking church business, I will refer to him as bishop. My brother the same way. He is Jay. I grew up calling him Jay. And if we are at a family function, Thanksgiving, hey, Jay, this or that. Hey, Jay, you know, Jason. But if it's church business, I call him pastor because I differentiate between the offices. And that helps me honor them. My sister, I will refer to her when we're talking about church business. If she's in her role as a pastor's wife, a a leader, I call her Sister Lacey. And when you are involved with ministers, if they're your friends, if they are um, your family, because you know their weaknesses, you know their theories or ideas that are you know, a little wonky or, or maybe what, I mean, there's so many because you know the details, the small things about them that it's, it's easy to not give them honor. A prophet is without honor in his own country. And so my experience is that I differentiate in myself, the offices and roles that they are playing. And I make sure that I honor them. I do not want to be guilty of not honoring them. And, and in this story in Luke 4, they actually ran Jesus out of town as a crowd and tried to throw him over a cliff. <laughs> and the Lord worked a miracle right then in that he kind of, I don't know how he did it, but he stilled them. He calmed them and he walked out of the midst of them. They didn't even know when he left the crowd, he got out of there. So that's the end of the story. Now I want to get back to 
this, the top of this story, which starts in verse 16, because the Lord has healing and direction for you today from this situation. So Luke 4, 16, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, I'm going to come to that again, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. It was his custom, his routine, his habit. He went to church. Synagogue it is a place of learning. And um, I don't want to get into the history of those, but I will say that followers of Christ, if we are mimicking Christ, it should be our custom to routinely go to the public forum location, which we now call a church, to learn, study, proclaim, partake of the word of God with other believers. Gathering with fellow believers and disciples should be our custom. Our children, it should not even be a question in our children's mind that we go to church. When the church doors are open, we don't miss church. That's just how it goes. We don't miss church. In the New Testament, it says not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And it points out some people and says, as the manner of some is. But in fact, gather so much the more as you see end times approaching. So just because life is busier, more stressful, you know why life is busier and more stressful and there's more anxiety? Because we're in the end days. And that's a part of the weight that we all feel. And so we don't miss church so much the more we attend church. I also want to point out, because this is just interesting, but um, Jesus went to synagogue on the Sabbath, which means he went on Saturday. And there's a question I've heard before about why don't we traditionally gather on Saturday? And there's a couple reasons why we continue in the tradition of gathering on Sunday instead of Saturday. One, because the original fishing hole, <laughs> you know, he, Jesus said he was making those disciples fishers of men. The original fishing hole was the Jewish community, and they were going to synagogue on Saturday. So you couldn't get them to come hear what you had to say about faith and growing in God on a Saturday because they were locked into their customs. And so meeting on the first day of the week gave the Jewish people the opportunity to come learn about Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons that tradition of meeting on Sunday still stands today. The other is because um, where we read in, in the four Gospels, and that's going to be Matthew 28, Mark, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20, when they went to the tomb to, um, when those women went to the tomb to do what they thought was preparing Jesus' body and they found it empty, 
that was on the first day of the week. And so those early believers kept, oh, my electricity just flickered. Oh boy. Um, well, I, all of my devices are fully charged, so we're good to go. <laughs> uh, for those of you listening to this later, this is being recorded while Hurricane Nicole has made landfall over on the coast. I'm in the middle of the state, so I, I don't think I will be dealing with, um, with, uh, I'm looking at to see if when my Wi-Fi blipped, if that caused any problems. Uh, it looks like everything's okay. Okay, I'll keep going. Um, so they went to the tomb on the first day of the week, and so the early believers kept honoring that that tradition and that day. And we see them doing it um, in Acts 20 and 1 Corinthians 16. They were still meeting on the first day of the week. And so for those of you wondering why we meet on Sunday, um, that's the tradition. That's the tradition. Why now? We could meet any day and every day of the week to learn about God, to worship God together, to grow in God together, but we follow that tradition of the first day of the week, and um, and then we have a secondary, at my church, we have a secondary attendance, and that is midweek service, and that is uh, typically focused on um, teaching from pastor, more mature meaty teaching, whereas Sunday mornings at my church is geared toward um, helping people come into the uh, the knowledge of the gospel to begin with. Okay, so anyway, there's some, there's some lesson in that for anybody who didn't know. Let's continue on. Verse 17, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The word gospel means glad tidings. And when it's used in the New Testament, it's not just meaning good news. It's literally mean glad tidings of the way to salvation. Having a baby is good news, but that doesn't save the world. <laughs> so particularly in the New Testament, when they are talking about the gospel, they're talking about the good news as it brings us into salvation. And we see what salvation is in 1 Corinthians 15, how that Christ died, was buried, and rose again. I'm not going to get into that. That'll be another podcast for another day. But he says he's anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, this word poor does not only mean those who are financially um, in a bad state, but it means lacking in anything. If, if a person has billions of dollars and they are lacking in joy, not one cent will do them any good. You cannot buy joy. You cannot buy peace. You cannot buy righteousness. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so 
when we preach the gospel, yes, we, we also preach the gospel regardless of a person's financial status. Rich people need Jesus. Poor people need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. But we, we preach the gospel, the way of salvation, to people who are lacking in anything. And that is going to be every single human on the planet. So he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. Here's what else Jesus was anointed to do. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. If you are suffering heartbreak, you need Jesus to heal you, to heal you. Miracles happen instantaneously. They are an instant change. That's what a miracle is, instant instant healing. But healing takes a process of time. And we we find God over and over again not being put off by the process of time. There is great value in it going through the process. The only way that Jesus can heal your broken heart is if you, first of all, acknowledge, you have to acknowledge what I'm dealing with is a broken heart. We are so used to uh, fake it till you make it. And we, a lot of times, do not want to admit to our own selves that we are broken. But on the other hand, if you want to heal yourself, you're only, you are limited at your healing if you insist on healing yourself. It's like if, if I broke my arm and tried to heal my own arm, my ignorance of healing an arm is, is huge. I need to go to a professional who has studied not only bones, but ligaments and blood vessels and, and skin and how it all works and all comes together. The more knowledge a person has about the inner workings, the better the healing is going to be. You can try to use this world's tools to heal your brokenness from uh, the abuse you took in childhood or, or the divorce you went through or the rejection of a friend or being uh, uh, stabbed in the back by a coworker, you can go, you can try to heal yourself or you can even go to the, to the world's self-help books, but they are limited in how they heal. Your creator, the creator of your body, soul, mind, spirit, you are knit together in your mother's womb by God, and God is the healer, but you have to bring your broken heart to him, and then you have to go through the process. You have to be patient. You have to continually bathe 
that wound of rejection, those wounds of of loneliness. You have to completely bathe them in prayer and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to heal the brokenhearted. And Jesus goes on to say that he also came to preach deliverance to the captives. He did not come to preach deliverance to people who are already free. He came to preach deliverance to the captives. We are captive by a lot of things. We are captive to how we were brought up, how we heard our parents talk to each other. We are captives of that heartbreak if we've not brought it to Jesus. We are captive of the peers that we allowed very naturally to influence us through our teen years, through our young adult years. We are captive by our friendship circles. We are captive by the protections that we built because people hurt us and we started barricading our emotions and our hearts. But Christ came to preach deliverance to the captives. They say that a baby elephant, if you put a chain around a baby elephant's foot and stake it into the ground, drive a stake into the ground, that the baby elephant gets used to that chain and not being able to walk around. And that even when that baby elephant has grown into his huge, I don't know how many tons an elephant is, one ton, two tons, I wish I knew, that he could easily pull that chain out of the ground, pull that stake out of the ground. But because he believes in the power that captivated him in his childhood, even though he's not actually captive anymore, he could go and do whatever he wanted to do. He's held by his past. Jesus came to preach deliverance to the captives. You're not actually bound by those things anymore. And you've got to put yourself in an environment to hear the word of the Lord continually remind you, you are not captive. You're not captive by that abuse anymore. You are not that that person that used to steal anymore. You are not that calloused person anymore. You are not. You are being held by what held you in your past, but you have been filled with God's spirit. God is walking alongside you. He that the son has set free is free indeed. And so preaching deliverance to people who are captive in their mind 
is important. And that's one of the reasons why you need that consistent custom of going to the house of the Lord. We are continually infused with hearing and being reminded that we have been delivered. The scripture says such were past tense some of you. You were a sinner. You were bound by this. You were consumed with this. But if you would start working in different areas, if you would start tugging on that chain, you would find you are not held captive anymore. And so put yourself in a place where you hear the preaching. You are not held captive anymore. Christ's ministers, those who follow Christ, Christ said he came to preach deliverance to the captive. And then those of us coming after him, we spend a lifetime preaching deliverance to those who are captive by their past. They're not even captive anymore. Then he came to preach. He said he came for the recovering of sight to the blind. And again, we're not talking about miraculous. We're talking about recovering, recovering of sight. Again, we're talking about a process. There is healing, but there's a process. And the more you immerse yourself in Jesus Christ, in prayer, in the spirit of the Lord, in the fellowship of God's people, the more you immerse yourself in that, you recover sight and you begin to see things differently. People who have been filled with the Spirit of God, they literally can see opinions differently. And a strong opinion they used to have, they feel completely different about it now because the Lord has started a recovering of their sight. Uh, they, they see ideologies differently. They begin to think differently. Recovering of sight. Recovering of sight. God, help me to see things your way. Help me to see how you see people. God, help me to see the, the, the promises the way you see the promises. Help me to see the path the way you see the path. Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Recover my sight so I can walk in the right path. We've got to pray that way and present ourselves to him for this healing virtue. Because we cannot heal ourselves. And then he came to set at liberty them that are bruised. And I think this is one of my my favorites to think about. I think it's one of my favorites because I grew up thinking this verse was, he came to set at liberty them that are bound. I didn't realize until I was older, after hearing this scripture my whole life, that the word is bruised. And so when I think about a bruise, you know, I can, I can fully function if, with a bruise. I, I might run into an arm of my couch and, and put a bruise on my thigh. 
And I can fully function with that bruise. I can lift things. I can walk, drive, talk, minister. I can, but if somebody touches it, if I accidentally lean on it, if I forget that it's there, that tenderness makes my whole body react. And a lot of times emotionally, this is also what we deal with. We, something occurred in life that bruised us and we can be mommies and wives and friends and achieve and excel in our jobs, but we're doing it with a bruise. And when something happens, when we're triggered, that's a word that we use. Something triggers us. It could be a song. I've talked before about how ringtones trigger me. Uh, Something will trigger us, a phrase, and we are reminded that we have been bruised. But just because we have been bruised does not mean we cannot be set at liberty to function, to move, to go. When, when When you are constantly living under the the power of a bruise, then you can't function. It is, it does feel like the whole body is, is attacked. And when you're living under that bruise, people who are emotionally bruised are easily hurt. They, they can't take a joke. Things, they tend to hear accusations and statements not meant at all to be even referencing them, to be about them. Bruised people take things personally. But Jesus came to set at liberty them that are bruised. But you have to bring yourself to him. For that to happen, Jesus came to do all of this for you, to heal you, to restore you, to strengthen you, to empower you. But you have to bring yourself to him. You have to accept the fact that there is a process. And so therefore, you continually show up to the house of God because that's where part of the healing comes from the process. You continually plug into the word of God at home. You continually bring yourself before him in prayer and supplication because that's a a part of the process. And you can't be constantly abandoning the program and expect the complete work to be done. You can't just hit and miss when you want. That's like a diabetic only taking insulin when they want. No, no. They've got to constantly monitor their numbers and constantly be aware and have that insulin on hand always. Your healing of your brokenness, your healing of your bruised self, you have to stay plugged into the program that Jesus has designed. You have to. 
You cannot blame God. You cannot blame the people of God. You you, if you don't stick with the program, there is clear instructions laid out in the word of God. And you're going to have to be around for years to gradually learn what those insights and instructions are. You've got to accept that about yourself. I need Jesus every day and I need everything that he laid out and not just what I want. Now I'm going to wrap this up by pointing out that as disciples of Christ, this is our job as well. It is also our job to preach the gospel to the poor. It is also our job to heal the brokenhearted. It is our job to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. It's our job to do that. We do that with our fellow members of our churches. We do that in the grocery store. We do that with our broken family. We do that with our coworkers. We are there to heal the brokenhearted. We are now Christ's hands, Christ's voice, Christ's heart, Christ's feet. We are Christ. We are the body of Christ. And if you are a person who, by way of your own brokenness, you just feel like, I can't be healing the brokenhearted. I'm brokenhearted. I feel like I'm captive. How am I supposed to preach deliverance to the captives? I'm blind. How am I supposed to preach the recovering of sight to the blind? I want to, I want to tell you how. I want to tell you how. We're going to go back to the first line that Jesus read from Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So first of all, the way you carry out the task that is in our hands, the responsibility that is on our shoulder is get yourself in a place where the spirit of the Lord is upon you. I don't know how everybody's church is, but I know my church cultivates this opportunity every single service where we invite the spirit of the Lord with very demonstrative worship we offer up a sacrifice of praise and the Lord cannot help but inhabit the praises of his people. Put yourself in an environment where the spirit of the Lord comes upon you. Go into your private prayer place and invite the spirit of the Lord to come upon you in prayer and supplication. And next it says, because he hath anointed me, anointed me. Now, this word, I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's somehow the, the uh, very uh, Danaesque way of pronouncing it is, is going to be kriho. There's actually more guttural sound at the back of your throat, according to uh, the, the, guys, the guy that I heard pronounce it last night. But anyway, kriho. And it, it, it comes from the root word, that is kraomahi, which is to furnish what is needed. 
The Lord has anointed you. He has furnished what you need to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. He has furnished what you need. Let me tell you something I recently learned about anointing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to do these things. Another place we hear the word anointing is in Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me beside still waters. David was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he understood sheep, lambs. And when he was calling himself a lamb, he knew what he was calling himself. He knew how much he as a shepherd loved and cared for his flock, and therefore he put himself in that position to be loved and cared for of God. God is my shepherd. I am his lamb. I am his sheep. And we, when David was anointed, he had an insight when David was anointed to be king, when he was furnished with what he needed, when he was anointed to be king, David had an understanding of anointing with oil that we who are not shepherds do not know. And that is that a shepherd carried a flask of oil and that oil was continually applied to the sheep and it was put on abrasions. Uh, it was used to keep uh, the, the sheep's eyes uh, uh, clean and to keep bugs away. That oil was used to equip that lamb especially when it had been hurt. You, when David, when David had that anointing poured on him, he in his life as a shepherd knew anointing oil was for the purpose of healing. And he knew that he was being equipped, he was being healed to be able to take care of everyone else's wounds. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to be able to do these things. He has furnished what I need to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance, preach the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. The Spirit of the Lord when you get yourself in the spirit of the Lord, you put yourself in a place where that anointing flows over you and heals your broken heart. It delivers you from old mindsets of your past. It recovers your sight so that you can see more clearly. And it puts you in a position where your bruising is not so easily affecting your whole life. It sets you at liberty from your bruises. And therefore, you too are able to preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted.
preach deliverance, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty them that are bruised. I thank you so much for joining me today. I pray in Jesus' name that you will not be weary in well-doing. Walk in the power and the liberty that God has set forth for you. Do his work on this earth. In Jesus' name, God bless. Bye-bye.